a little bit more recent than we usually do, uh, but we're celebrating a 25th anniversary today, uh, and that is uh, the film Armageddon from 1998. It was released July 1st, 1998, and it was directed by Michael Bay, uh, known for his big, loud blockbusters. It was written by a host of writers, including J.J. Abrams, who uh, uh, went on to uh, do, uh, produce Lost and, and uh, uh, a number of other uh, hit things, Star Trek, Star Wars, and such. It stars, of course, Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler, Steve Buscemi, Owen Wilson, Michael Clark Duncan. It's a cast of thousands, if you will. Uh, it did have four Oscar nominations, believe it or not. Not surprisingly, they were all technical, uh, or mostly. Uh, sound, sound effects, uh, sound effects editing, and original song by Diane Warren, who wrote I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, which we'll talk about in a few moments. Now, it's a beloved movie. Uh, otherwise, we probably wouldn't be doing it here 25 years later. But movie critic Roger Ebert said that it was the worst movie of 1998. <laughs> uh, and Michael Bay, the director, actually agrees with him. Uh, he thinks Armageddon is his worst film. Uh, he says, I will apologize for Armageddon because we had to do the whole thing in 16 weeks, and it was not fair to the movie. I would redo the entire third act if I could. Uh, all that stuff notwithstanding, like I said, it's uh, kind of gone down in history as a, a beloved movie. At the time of its release, this was Walt Disney's highest-grossing live-action film uh, at the time, and uh, it was the largest budget ever approved by Disney. And one of it was $140 million, which was the most expensive film of 1998 and the third most expensive film uh, that uh, they ever made up to that, was ever made by anybody up to that point, uh, right after Titanic and Waterworld. So uh, it was a big risk, and it paid off big by being uh, their highest grossing film. Now, here's a, uh, something I kind of like. NASA actually shows this film during their management training program, and new managers are given the task to try and spot as many errors as they can find in the movie. And so far, at least 168 have been found. Uh, and, the, uh, and, and again, the, the errors in the film were actually acknowledged by the director and known even during filming and production. And they were left in deliberately, such as like the face and Michael Bay said, look, it's a movie. Not many people know about these things, so we're keeping it in for entertainment value. And, and uh, that's what we call willing suspension of disbelief. With us is Joe Fortunato Film School on Armageddon. And, you know, this was at the pinnacle as well, right, Joe, of, of Bruce Willis, the, the movie star, as he came off TV. And he was, uh, you know, in the middle of the Die Hard series and all this. And this one just added on to his great resume. Yeah, very much so. I mean, this was uh, uh, really the, 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 you know, as you said, the pinnacle of Bruce Willis' stardom. Um, there was other, uh, <clears throat> other people considered for some of the roles, various roles. Again, this always happens when we talk about casting. It's you know, kind of the who's who of whatever era it is. Tim Robbins, Tom Hanks, Robert De Niro, Michael Keaton were all considered for various roles. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered for the role that Bruce Willis got, uh, and he turned it down. And this was actually his second film that he turned down for Michael Bay uh, right after The Rock. So there could have been a number of, uh, of uh, other, other people in this cast. I mentioned that NASA uses it as a recruiting tool, but um, they also were very liberal 
and allowing the, the producers to film in restricted areas. But because of the patriotic nature of the script and the success of using Top Gun uh, earlier uh, as a recruitment material for the Navy, the producers persuaded NASA to allow Michael Bay uh, to shoot a normally restricted space agency you know, on launch pads and stuff. And uh, so, you know, they might uh, use it as a, as a tool to find mistakes, but they also used it at the time as a recruiting tool uh, to bring people into uh, NASA as well. There was another film around the time some people may remember. It was uh, forgotten, uh, really, in the wake of Armageddon. But Deep Impact was also 1998, another film that, that had an asteroid uh, plot to it. And uh, there was sort of an unfriendly back and forth between these films. Both projects were greenlit and filmed through 1997 and 1998. And, uh, you know, a lot of back and forth in the media kind of taking shots at each other. The one thing also, uh, there's two things that stand out to me that are kind of uh, stand out. And, and one is this, the special effects of the asteroid. Uh, Joe, I thought that was really well done. And then I'm going to let you expand a little bit because the narration that brings it all together at the end of the movie had a pretty special voice with it. Well, the, uh, you talk about special effects, and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer was one of the producers. So this had roughly 250 special effect shots. Uh, that's the most he had ever overseen uh, was 80 prior to that with Crimson Tide. So quite a lot of special effects. And, and as I said, a lot of uh, the filming was done in restricted areas like NASA and the oil rig and, and stuff like that. Um, we talk about <clears throat> the, the, the narration and sort of the explanation of, of a bit of the plot. Um, they, they, you know, um, Michael Bay said in an interview that the solution for the movie for dealing with the asteroid was very clever, but not realistic. Uh, and he said the problem with a film like this <laughs> is it would make Americans erroneously think that if a situation like this ever occurred, there was anything that we could actually do about it. Uh, so there's maybe false hope by the movie. I mentioned earlier about the song, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, was written by Diane Warren, and Bruckheimer and Bay decided that they wanted Aerosmith to perform it. Mm -hmm. So they invited the band uh, back to the editing room to watch clips from the film. Aerosmith was blown away and recorded the song three days later, and it became a, a, a big hit for them. And, uh, you know, some people probably already know this, but uh, uh, there's a, a, an interesting connection there because uh, Liv Tyler, who's the love interest in the film, is actually the daughter of Aerosmith lead singer Steven Tyler. Uh, so it's uh, uh, kind of a family affair there. One other thing that's of note of this film is very fast-paced cutting. In fact, the average length of, of the cuts is 1.5 seconds, and uh, which is very fast. Uh, and due to that fast pace, and quick editing style, Roger Ebert called it the first 150-minute trailer. <laughs> so Roger Ebert was not a fan, but uh, a lot of people were fans. And, and one final thing that uh, I'll leave with because I find it amusing, after the character of Rockhound, portrayed by Steve Buscemi, gets space dementia, the shuttle crew wraps him in duct, duct tape. Some people might remember that, mm -hmm. uh, which actually is actual NASA protocol immobilizing a crazed crew member. So that's actually real. 